Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Beats Per Minute podcast. Let it beat. I am here tonight with John. Hello. Rob. Hi. And Carlo. Hello. I'm the other John. So this is our very first episode of our new podcast where the entire Beats Per Minute staff is introducing themselves, talking about the music they've listened to, talking about news, and discussing three albums, which every two weeks we chose to have a little, uh, yeah, maybe a fight over. We don't quite know yet. <laughs> it's going to get interesting. So let's just jump right in and discuss a little bit what we all have been listening to in the last few days. Rob, why don't you start? What albums have you listened to in the past week? Uh, well, I've been listening to a lot of stuff that won't be coming out for a few months, but I want to talk about the things I've been writing about recently that are out. So the Emma Jane Sacre album, which is quite a fun pop jazz album. She makes kind of big band jazz. And then the Horsey album, which I think a lot of people have checked out just because we keep talking about it. And it's, it's a far from perfect album, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, that Horsey album, it, it's, it's fascinating to me because I think it almost feels like, I mean, we all have been there these mid-2000s indie bands from Britain, uh, Futureheads, Maximo Park, you name it, all of these bands that were really inspired by ecstasy. But the interesting thing about them is that they have this tendency to go for influences like jazz and swing. And I, I think even something like uh, like coffeehouse music, which I thought were really unique, especially uh, in, in that windmill scene right now. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I saw them live last week at their um, album launch show. They started with five covers. They played a cover of like Mr. Brightside and Corns, Freak on a Leash and Slipknot. What's the big Slipknot song? I've forgotten. But yeah, that just goes to show how uh, how different their influences are. You know, they're kind of older than a lot of the other South London acts, even though they're only just coming out with their first album. But yeah, I guess that just shows that they have kind of different influences for whatever reason. I think, Carla, you checked it out, right? I did. I did. I, I was a fan of that album. It was a lot of fun. It's interesting, John, that you mentioned the, uh, the mid-aughts, um, because that's exactly what came to mind uh, when I was listening to that album but yeah it's it's a lot of fun that's one of the few albums that I've been I've been listening to over the past week as well yeah and I mean it sounded like they played a variety of covers of some of my favorite songs there uh yeah Freak on a Leash is still uh I I tend to be like very much an apologist for all of these uh, new metal bands I don't know what it is but there's something very charming about this really privileged sense of oppression that they all have in a, in a certain way like, I don't know what it is it's just so charming to me to listen to them being a grown-up up and kind of hearing them having this weird like rebellious like shut up mom attitude constantly it's it's quite genuine i think in its own fakeness yeah, i like the album too yeah i i don't think i've listened to it quite as much clearly as rob but but yeah i, I think it was a lot of fun and a lot of energy you know it, it's a distinct album but it also reminded me of some of the other projects that have come out like even it just r- brought to mind like even like dry cleaning or you know back country or i mean but i mean it's there's a different 
difference there, but but there seems to be kind of a, a sonic theme this year in some ways with with some of those albums, you know, and even the vocal approach too. Yeah, kind of a kind of a singing spoken word sort of mix there. Yeah, I think we like later this year, right? Sooner rather than later this year, actually, we will have to have a discussion about all of these um, new British post-punk bands because it's quite apparent that there is a scene, but few people right now are connecting that scene into a whole. Like they, there's not a lot of discussion about it happening, which is that it's, it's very weird to me because I remember that uh, in the mid aughts when all of these bands were kind of hitting, uh, when all of these, the, the first singles were played in clubs and all of that, uh, I, I remember how, how quickly people jumped to the conclusion that there was a cohesive new trend of these British bands coming together. Right now, we still lack that definitive insight into that, which I, uh, I think it's probably something that we have to provide uh, in the coming months. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I haven't really seen that much about the scene as a whole either. I remember seeing an article earlier this year on NPR that talked, that gave like an overview of, of the scene. And I think that was the closest I've ever seen to recently um, talking about it. They mentioned like dry cleaning, Black Country New Road, I think. I think Fontaine's DC was also thrown in the mix there. But yeah, apart from that, there really hasn't been much discussion apart from like in reviews, they'll like reference these other bands, but nothing such high level. I wonder too, if there's a kind of, I mean, it seems like there's been a, a lot of shifts even in the last five years, just in terms of norms. And I wonder if like the whole idea of a scene is almost a little dated now. There's so much individualistic impulse. It, it, well, it, it, at least in the, in the US. I mean, I really can't imagine in some ways like a scene in the, in the US. I mean, it just feels, everything feels so fragmented. And of course there are alliances and all this kind of thing, but I, I think people are very preoccupied with having their own identity and not being yeah. uh, only lumped into any kind of category at all. I, I do think that there is a bit of a, the the idea of a scene is a bit of a, an easy thing for uh, the media to harp on about. It just makes, a, it ties a lot of things together in a nice way that makes things sound exciting when, you know, maybe these bands have shared a bill once or twice, but they don't like hang out all the time. I think that is also a thing which when I read up on Shoegaze was um, some something that came up there where they, like, I, I forgot if it was Ride or if it was Slow Death, but one of these bands basically in retrospect said that they were fascinated that so many journalists were claiming that there was a scene going on in Shoegaze, whereas they just said, you know, we hung out with each other. Yeah, we, we had a beer once or twice. We saw each other maybe at concert or at a venue, but there wasn't any connective tissue between uh, like Cocteau Twins, Ride, My Bloody Valentine, Slow Death. They were all very much on their own and there was not much to, to fully connect to that. So I think it's probably the same in America at the moment. Yeah, and I think a lot of times, I mean, it, it is writers and um, social commentators who, who sort of create themes around you know, like even grunge for that matter. I mean, really, like grunge was almost more of a fashion movement than a musical movement. Now, I think like shoegaze, there, 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 there are some themes there, the sound sound wise, but but I think a lot of a lot of this is brought in just as, as, as a way of creating connection that aren't always there, you know, which is one, re I mean, not to get off topic, but to, which is one one thing that I, and Rob does this a lot, and I appreciate it a lot. Like he he doesn't make comparisons that much in his reviews. Yeah, I that's find true. It fascinating. I mean, I, I just find it really interesting. I, I've, I've looked at that. 
because I think sometimes the comparisons can be forced. I mean, if it works, great. If it sheds some light, if it facilitates some kind of clarity, great. But but I, I, I see that more often now, like that just talking about the project in and of itself on its own terms. And I, I think that's that's a pretty interesting way to go. Okay, so let's move on a little yeah. bit. Carlo, what have you been listening to? Uh, yeah, so let's see. Um, some albums, I would say. So I'm currently writing about the new that just came out on Friday. Um, so that's a really good record. I've been really excited. Uh, I'm really excited to, uh, you know, finally get that out for people, the review out for people to read. He's played with, he's been a musician for, he's played for years with um, people like Steve Gunn, um, Jeff Tweedy. Just one second. Um, I think the name of the musician actually glitched out when you said it so just repeat who you're talking about please oh yeah liam kazar k-a-z-a-r so i've been listening to that um he's been the album itself i think is interesting i feel like it's almost broken down into two halves the first half is a lot more um synth uh, a lot more like synth pop and um has like some interesting like am 1970s influences in it which I find really catchy and a lot of fun. Um, and then the second half leans more into um, what you would expect from like a Steve Gunn record or a Jeff Tweedy or a Wilco record, like a lot more, a lot more all country. Yeah, just laid back, uh, which is, which is an interesting mix. Um, and I think he does all of it really well. Um, so I've been enjoying that album. The new Megabog record is another one that I've been listening to a lot lately. Uh, I was not familiar with, with her work beforehand, but there's, it's, I love the avant-garde leanings that are just incredibly accessible and a lot of fun i'm trying to think of a couple songs that the weight of the earth on paper for example that song i think that was like the first song i heard of hers um and i just found that that was really intriguing and really bouncing and, and, and a lot of fun so there's that record as well so that's two records i mean we already mentioned horsey that was going to be one of the three i was going to mention as, as well but i guess i would throw pom pom squad out there as yeah. as a fourth record that I've been listening to lately. I was also not so familiar with Megabog and, and I don't know if it's a bad thing to say, but when I, I heard that James Krichenia from Big Thief was producing this one, that or co-producing this one, that's when I became interested, even though this is like her sixth record. I guess if it helps get more people to listen to it, it's not a bad thing. And I did come away from it thinking she's an incredible songwriter and I need to investigate more of her stuff. Yeah, I haven't heard of her either. Like those are, those are records I still need to check out, but especially the Megabox songs, very, very fascinating to me. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting album too. I mean, it actually, it's interesting what, you know, sometimes the, the rabbit hole you go down when you listen to this project and then at least, you know, and so I found myself, and I'm not even necessarily comparing them, <laughs> but I but I found myself going back to like the Anna B. Savage album and a couple other ones that I'm forgetting right now, but, but just sort of like, I don't know, looking for contexts, I guess that kind of thing but um but yeah i i liked the i know it's sort of singer songwriter with kind of a with a very kind of like sort of an avant-garde feel and yeah i mean honestly i felt like it sort of felt like i i got it and then towards the end it was a little if i'm remembering right it felt a little repetitive maybe but um but but just an interesting yeah interesting album yeah let's stay with you john what have you been listening to uh in the past one or two weeks uh well definitely uh the king woman album was a big one for me i really wanted to try to be with that album 
album and and uh, I mean because the the 17 release was significant for me I mean as one of my I, I thought that was a phenomenal record and this was actually even better to me I mean the instrumentation including the drumming drumming on that album is phenomenal and then I think uh, Christina Sfandiari is really just found her voice and her presence uh, there's a couple songs on there um, that are just stunning to me they're spellbinding and then her whole thing of the whole the whole Gnostic mystical element that I know we'll probably get into with Lingua Ignata as well but um, that's one of them I also uh, find myself really interested in, in Claire Rousey um, I liked her uh, album earlier the year in the year of Softer Focus this new one um, which is a collaboration but both of them I, I think somehow they, they seem uh, almost beyond music like I like I keep thinking about documentaries when I listen to her music you know she's documenting a day on this on this on that collaborative project somehow uh, she really evokes something it, re it reminds me of some of those lo-fi documentaries like Tar Nation I don't know there are a couple other ones like that so that's uh, that's another one that's uh, th I mean those two really in a way but mostly the collaboration I guess if I was going to go with a, another one I would say that I just suddenly have gotten like really really uh, drawn to to just spend some time with as much of the catalog as I can of ECM records just a lot of really interesting jazz it's not necessarily at least what I've heard I'm listening mostly to the stuff that came out this year I mean it's not necessarily avant-garde or, or radical I mean there are elements of that but I think it's really well done uh, there's some just beautiful instrumentation beautiful piano um, Nick Barch is one of them uh, pianist beautiful stuff so uh, yeah I've been going back and forth on on several albums from them I guess that was three so that's probably yeah that's probably um, I'm, I'm gonna pick up on The King Woman because The King Woman is one of the two records which I also uh, have been listening to a lot the past uh, few days and which I wanted to talk about um, it's it's such a fascinating record the reason why is that this has very much been uh, my first contact with King Woman I hadn't heard the debut before now I became aware of it due to some people I follow on Facebook from LA that were uh, apparently are friends with their singer and um, were very much doing the PR for her and I was surprised how great this record really is because on the surface it would be really easy to just write it off as kind of a follow-up, a spiritual follow-up to uh, what Chelsea Wolfe has been doing, what a lot of other artists have been doing in the scene, kind of combining this mystical uh, approach, especially in lyricism, to this heavy metal sound that is very much, very much adapted still in drone metal as far. Uh, I'm, I'm still a little uh, outside of, of metal nerddom to actively say if this is now doom or drone, but I, I think it's, it's a fantastic record. I think her vocal delivery is absolutely unique as someone who appreciates um, occultism and a lot of things that have to do with theology. I'm really fascinated how she uses the Luciferian themes that she connects to the lyrics. It's, it's, it's a really spellbinding record, I think. I'm not quite certain yet even how much I love it because I've been listening to it for days now and I can't really get tired of it. And the most fascinating thing, and as the person who wrote the review for us, John, uh, I'm, I'm curious what you have to say about this. Because what fascinated me was how she lyrically evokes all of these themes surrounding uh, Lucifer, his fall, uh, his role in the world, the biblical role, all, the, all of these different iterations kind of of Lucifer throughout the uh, Christian mythology. But at the same time, what I found really fascinating is how in her songwriting, oftentimes she uses like almost R&B or pop sensibilities in a way that I think really merged with this idea as Lucifer, as the first pop star sort of mm -hmm. and 
I, it, it's something that really, that really, really keeps me going with this album. Because whenever I, whenever I tire a little bit of something heavier, I put on a song like Golgatha, and all of a sudden her singing melody is something which I identify usually with, yeah, with something that I could see um, Rihanna or Doja Cat all of a sudden deliver. Like these melodies, these pop melodies in these heavy songs is um, fairly unique, even in this type of genre and type of approach. Wait, wait, doesn't doesn't she she also makes pop music, right? Didn't you say that, John? I mean. She- she has, she's been in several, but her her two main iterations are King Woman and Miserable. That's actually the name of the group. Miserable is a little bit more definitely definitely uh, draws on dream pop more than metal. It's sort of a but it's got that it's still heavy. It's very um, so there's doom. It's almost like doom pop or something like that maybe. But does she use the same voice? Because the voice she has in King Woman is is so perfect for those kind of to combine yeah. with those guitars. It's so I don't know how you guttural it almost. I can't imagine that in pop music or dream pop. Yeah, it's a little different in in, in miserable. And then she did a collaboration. Uh, I forget what that guy's name was now, but it was uh, came out in eighteen maybe. Um, and it was more electronic, and they had sort of duet stuff going on. It was pretty interesting, but still, again, kind of uh, definitely heavy on the melancholy. Um, but yeah, she she's a pretty. I think she's a pretty versatile vocalist, and definitely on this on this on the King Woman album. Um, yeah, I, I think I think the songwriting is a step up from the debut, and her. her her vocal presence seems to be in, in, a, in another um, on another level. And I think the instrumentation too, particularly the drums, I think the drumming, it's the same drummer from the first album, but he has way more of a presence on this album. I mean, he he moves a lo- he moves around a lot in a lot of different styles. And um, so it, it's a pretty textured album. And also the, the front cover is badass. Yeah. The front cover is also like, it's very interesting because it does something, it does something which I think is quite common, which is combined uh, a mystical imagery, like the imagery of uh, of Lucifer with the cut of wings, uh, with BDSM imagery in a very, very fascinating way from my perspective. And yeah, what you said, John, about the drumming, uh, I, I also agree about that. I also think the guitar parts are also unbelievable, like Psychic yeah. Wound, uh, this sort of like weird, uh, slightly Persian uh, lead guitar. Like, it's, it's so beautiful and it's it's so memorable. It's, it's such an engaging record. I really, really hope that this one uh, sticks with more people over time because it's just, it's so interesting. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. the other album um, that I've been listening to uh, quite a bit lately, and this is a little bit of a throwback is uh, Sophie's Oil of Every Pillow's Unsight. It's a little like like for me, it's a little weird summer. It's it's quite a strange time. I think everyone is experiencing that in their own way right now. And uh, yeah, I've been going back to uh, to Sophie's work. Obviously, I wrote uh, the in memoriam piece after she passed away. And listening to that album more and more, I still find it hard to deal with that she uh, just uh, left us with this freak accident because it's it's very much an album that I think stands out in in many many ways especially production wise I mean that's obvious but also in how she connects these uh, these countercultural themes how she takes her own identity and fashions it into a critique of mass culture into a critique of mainstream culture uh, in, in a very very beautiful and interesting way and as I wrote in my piece I find it incredibly tragic that her story is ending at this point because the album feels so much like a blueprint for something that would come later. It is in itself very, very good, but it is quite apparent that she is trying to create something which at the end of the day, she could never take the next step from. She could never develop from this point that this is 
frozen in now. And it's, I think it helps me a little bit get through this strange summer in that sense, because it just feels like, um, it feels very alive in that sense to me. It feels very alive because it is not definitive. And um, yeah, it is, uh, it, it is an amazing record. And from everything that I've heard, uh, because I obviously I, um, I looked up some, uh, some other pieces on her around the time that I wrote my piece, a lot of people around her have said that we are still about to hear some of her best music, maybe a long time down the road. Uh, Faris, uh, the singer of the Horrors, who was very good friends with her, he alluded to that where he said that he is, for example, in possession of some of her work which she sent him, which apparently is spellbinding. So I I hope that maybe we will hear some more of that. For now, it's it's kind of a bittersweet uh, a bittersweet experience, I think, listening to this record. But then again, it's a very bittersweet time we're in right now. Yeah, I love that album. I haven't heard it for a while now, actually. I've probably listened to it around the time she passed, but I should be listening to it more frequently than that. It is a classic. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I get what you mean about she she's just, you know, just out of the blocks with that record. She's got, using an Olympic metaphor, she's still got, you know, 90 meters to go, you know? Yeah, it's a tragedy. Yeah, I hope we do get to hear some more stuff, although that always comes with its own contentions, you know, and that would be a shame to cloud it. But I do wonder if she was still around, if she'd be making like more like outright protest kind of stuff or dropping singles and stuff rather than making an album. Who knows what she'd be doing? Yeah, she did release a DJ mix shortly before her passing. Uh, I, I think that as, as soon as like a month before her passing, um, she she did a little live stream. I forgot if it was on Twitch or YouTube, but she did this live stream where she basically um, presented what was either an EP or work in progress. And there were a few new songs in this, if I'm not completely mistaken. So yeah, I'm, I'm not quite certain what is going to happen with that. But from what I remember, uh, her work during this live stream was a little harsher than on the album sound-wise, but with similar themes. So it's even like, I, I'm, I'm not quite certain where she would have gone. But again, you know, as, as in cases with other people who passed away before their time, it's always very hard to, to ascertain, you know, where that would have gone. It's, it's something which I think a lot of people, a lot of people also debated with Jeff Buckley, which is, I think, also like one of the more obvious comparison points, uh, which I also picked up in, in my piece. Uh, because Buckley also worked on so much music. And at the end of the day, we got to hear it, but much of it still felt so isolated to what that is and frozen in that moment that it remained unfinished, which uh, is a shame. But yeah, um, let's hope that uh, maybe we are going to hear some of that finished work sometime down the line. Yeah, so much for the music we listen to. Uh, I want to move on to the news that happened, and um, there's there's some uh, th- there's one big news item which I think we should just. This is the news that didn't happen. The exactly, news that did yeah. not happen. <laughs> the news that did not happen, or the news that kind of happened. Kanye West's new album, Donda. I hope I said that right. Did not drop, and we're not sure if it ever is going to drop. Did anyone oh, listen to the stream on Friday or the first one? 
Yes. However, he did a live stream live from the uh, Mercedes Arena, Mercedes Benz Arena, where he was also uh, performing some type of performance art. I watched 10 minutes of that performance and that was, uh, I thought it was uh, funny. I thought it was a very funny performance. It was uh, interesting to see something of that scale, especially now uh, during a time when we all are uh, used to isolation. I, I am not sure what to make of the music. I am not sure what to make of this project and I have no idea if it's even uh, actually going to get released or just shelved once more. Did, did anyone else listen? Uh, I did uh, not. No. I did not. <laughs> Are you are you guys tired with Kanye at this point? Are you? I did you like Jesus is King? It feels like we're going to get another Christian record this time. I I did listen to it. Um, I mean, it definitely didn't stick with me. Um, I listened to it a few times when it first came out. Um, but I I am one of those people who is now like in the I'm I'm a little exhausted with him at this point, which is which is kind of a shame. But that's that's definitely where I am right now. So the fact that the record did not drop again on Friday did not surprise me. I would not be surprised if it gets delayed again yeah that's that's kind of how i am with with kanye i'm 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 borderline indifferent at this point but i'm curious to hear what what other people think yeah i i i I agree i'm i'm not uh i'm not on board for that kind of thing honestly you want to release the album release it you don't want to release it then you know put it on the back burner and and you know make a 22 2022 release date i mean it sort of feels like pr that i don't really want to get hooked by uh especially when there are so many good hip-hop albums out this year there's a really good work you know the vince staples i mean even the Naz album is pretty good i mean yeah, yeah you know it's a great album it, it, i love the paris texas one but that's i mean i don't know i don't think it's getting quite quite the attention it should but but anyway not to get off topic yeah i i, I mean i i've been, i've appreciated kanye as much as anyone i mean i think some of those albums are classics in their own way they're not go-tos for me i have to be honest they've never been go-tos for me so um when the album comes out i'll certainly listen but i'm i'm not sitting on the edge of my seat or or anything like that john is that what as our meme expert can you uh tell us about what's going on with him what is he wearing in those pictures he is wearing balenciaga uh at the moment um i'm not sure i i did not research every single item item he has on there are now pieces which i saw where they were like let's discuss every single easter egg of kanye's current fashion choices which i Mm. thought preposterous so basically my approach to this entire thing is that I've been kind of out of Kanye's loop for a while now. I thought The Life of Pablo wasn't for me. It wasn't really a bad record, but I could not find an entrance into it. I know that a lot of people, for unspecified reasons, love the album. I, I really couldn't wrap my head around it. I thought it was un- interesting what he did during the time with gospel choirs and all of that, but there was just no deeper connection for me. I didn't feel like it was a truly deep work of art. And then there was that entire uh, follow-up where he would constantly remix the album and remaster it and there would be new versions every 10 days or something and um, I, I I couldn't I couldn't fully get into that uh, I, I didn't understand the hype around Kitsy Ghosts uh, I thought it was a only moderately experimental album at the end of the day uh, I didn't think it was all that special I didn't think it was all that exciting I didn't care that much for Ye either was it called Ye the one with the mountain I already forgot yeah uh, I, I didn't care much yeah. for Ye either 
where I thought it was uh, from the lyrics, very self-serving, very much like navel gazy in certain positions. What he meant to be like this, this deep, honest statement just came across as, again, a little bit lackluster, a little bit like just, just, just shooting from the hip, but not in a way where I was really engaged with it. it surprisingly, I kind of liked Jesus is King. I didn't love it, but I thought that it was solid, that his approach was at least uh, an approach. It didn't feel like something that was a complete and coherent mess. It felt like uh, he genuinely wanted to try to do a Christian album and he did that. And uh, in a certain way, like it, I thought it was okay, but I feel I, like that's the kind of album he could make in his sleep. You know, it's just like applying his advanced production techniques to gospel. And yeah. there you go. Yeah. And he could win, a, he could win the gospel Grammy every year. He every year of his life, if he wanted to just doing that. Yeah. This new album will probably win the gospel Grammy as well. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I heard good things. Well, I hear good things about the Sunday service stuff. Uh, I looked here and there, but I, again, I, I thought it was fine. I thought uh, it wasn't something that really engaged me. It is very much like, like watching someone who lives in his own world, which I, I think we already have enough like rock stars, even still that are sort of isolating themselves in their microverse. Yeah. I thought also that uh, I forgot its title right now, but his unreleased album, I think Yandi was the title. The YouTube videos that I heard that sort of tried to reconstruct the album from everything that is available or that was leaked. I remember that he said it would be his follow-up to Jesus, but I was once more surprised just how moderately experimental and lackluster the album seemed. It didn't seem like something truly, uh, it didn't seem like a statement. It didn't seem like something that would even be worth of really shelving because it just seemed like uh, a decent uh, album for what it was, but not something that would really interest me. This entire build-up, I fear that it would be more interesting for me than the music. And the aesthetic that he already chose and um, everyone that has uh, had an insight into the virtual writer's room of Beats Per Minute knows that I dropped some memes regarding uh, Kanye's influences. I find it very interesting that he's now sort of aspiring to replicate that imagery of Death Grip's uh, music video for um, On GP. These like the, these figures sitting in a room in front of these large speakers and like the centered room in the background, all of that. I feel like he's trying to go through his uh, through his notebook. He's going through his notes that he made like five or six years ago about things that he saw then. I appreciate what he is doing in terms of performance. I appreciate what he's trying to do with the Balenciaga fashion. Uh, I appreciate how he is sort of now, uh, this might also be a conjecture, but how he is also embracing sort of an almost Luciferian, a darker imagery. But the music that I heard was once again, nothing that would shock or thrill me. It was fine. And I think that these songs are better than the ones of his more recent output. But there was nothing there that truly gave me an impression of a really, truly unique work by a great artist. It still feels like an artist who repeats kind of his patterns, even when he brings in new elements. It's still the same pattern, as you said, Rob, the same production style. And he just freshens it up with like a nice new, you know, Balenciaga get up and a nice new black mask. And so uh, for now, I'm being a little bit, a uh, little bit agnostic as well. I think this sounds fine, but it's not something that thrills me. I'm curious if this album is actually going to come out and I'm, uh, yeah, what's I everyone's think it will be postponed again. Yeah. What, when, when does everyone predict we're actually going to hear it? I would say, you know, mm. 
October. I will be very, yeah. I will be very, very uh, bold now. Uh, it's Kanye. And so I think the only two dates which it actually could come out, which would be a Kanye West statement, would be either on Halloween or on something like 9-11, where it would just be such a Kanye move to be like, yeah, here really. is my record because the date is important, which would literally probably uh, break, yeah, break people's, uh, break people's brains and just go, where even yeah. is the connection here? But I have a feeling yeah. that he's trying to build up to this. Uh, here is the special date that I'm going to release this. And for what I remember, I think he said like Friday the 13th. I don't think he's going to manage. Yeah. I mean, I do think, I do think we will get the album relatively soon. I would, September, October is, uh, that's when I would guess. Like, I do think we w- would get the record relatively soon. Um, but kind of going back to what everybody's been kind of saying is, I guess what, the reason why I am indifferent is because his last couple records have, in my opinion, have not been anywhere near Jesus, for example, or even Life of Pablo. So I feel like there is like this incongruency now that at least with Kanye, there was always, he got away with his ego and he got away with these big stunts because the because his music was genuinely incredibly good. Now I feel like there's more blatantly this incongruency between the PR and the record that we're probably going to get. And I think selfishly, I'm getting a little bit frustrated with that because he's it's been delayed. And when he announced the album, the initial album drop, that was all anybody in the music who remotely cared about music was talking about. And I feel like that's what is going to be when that is going to be the conversation until the album eventually comes out. And so I think it's taking away from a lot of attention. It's taking the attention away from other records that will be coming out. I like when Kanye originally announced this record, the first thing that came to my mind was, oh, well, all everybody else who's been planning months to have their album drop on this date, just forget it. The con- the conversation just going to be on Kanye. So that's, I guess for me, that's what's the most frustrating about this. And that's probably the most interesting. I mean, I'll just say, I mean, that's probably the to me the most interesting aspect also because i mean I, i'm trying to think of of somebody um you know what what are the precedents for somebody who has sort of almost like appropriated the pr machine and become like i mean to me he's more of a cultural figure at this point than an artist um and i don't know i mean i i mean i don't know who you would who, who had who was using that that kind of to this level that kind of paradigm i don't know like madonna or somebody maybe like you were saying carlo i mean there's a there are a lot of other projects, a lot of other albums. I don't know. I, I guess for me, Kanye has always been about production, even even his so-called uh, best albums. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm probably the, uh, you know odd one out on on that, but I just I just have always felt like they were interesting projects. Even Dark Twisted Fantasy, it's like a pretty interesting project with a lot of production, a lot of elements. It's complex, a lot of people, a lot of things going on, um, and it is cohesive in its own way. It's a, it's a, it's a production gem if anything to me but i i've i've just i've i've never felt uh the the pull around those around those albums i think one thing which is also very uh, palpable you know now that more people have also kind of latched onto that discourse there's more uh, music and hip-hop which people are which people are experiencing now over time you know certain bands that were a little more underground are now getting bigger and all of that i think it's also that that we realize now that other acts are doing so much more production wise like for example why i'm not a big fan of their most 
recent record, uh, clipping still miles ahead in detail and creativity when it comes to production than Kanye's last few projects really were. I mean, there was this anti, I, I really didn't like the last clipping album. And I think I might have been one of the few people there, maybe. But um, reading up on other people's uh, response to the record, there are people who are completely obsessed with that fly, which turns up on one of the songs on the last clipping album, which apparently you can barely hear on speakers and only really hear on headphones and these type of details where it's like they clearly put a lot, a lot, a lot of effort into these details. And with Kanye, I think it progressively feels like there is just not that much detail anymore. There used to be, but it's not anymore. Any last words on uh, on Donda and whether or not, are we are we going to put some money on the table, gentlemen? Are we are we actually? <laughs> I'm, 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 the closest buys everyone a Kanye sweatshirt. I say, I say, I say, he will probably drop it on Halloween because Friday the Thirteenth is an indication of again this this dark theme which is going on there. But I think he's going to release it on Halloween, or he might just go for it and release it on Christmas Day. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even think of that one. This is the majesty. Y'all paint the tapestry. Y'all know that misery. I know the energy. Now I know the strategy. Stay cool. Amazing. Tell me your feeling. Got it. Got it. Got it. Who got it? To you. 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 All right. I think that does it for our news segments. Let's head over and let's discuss the three albums which we chose. We have on our plate Alexis Marshall's debut, the new and third Lingua Ignota album, and Billie Eilish's Sophomore record. Maybe we should start with the Alexis Marshall, House of Lol, House of When. Rob, what did you think of House of Lull, House of When? Is it a successful first solo record for Marshall? Is it maybe a little too different from the Daughters for you? What do you think? Well, yeah, at first I was quite surprised how different it was from Daughters. But at the same time, his voice is quite dexterous and malleable. He can do all sorts. And he's definitely found a very interesting backing here with all sorts of kind of tactile noises of chains and coins and stuff, which I love. But I actually went back and listened to You Won't Get What You Want today for the first time since I'd listened to House of Lowell, House of When. And it's not a massive leap in difference, you know? There was a lot more atmosphere in that album than I remembered. I mostly just remembered, like, how massive it is. But yeah, and I've been reading, John's got an interview with Alexis, which is going to be published tomorrow, and I was reading that today while listening to it, and that was mm. super interesting. I love that I hadn't picked up on a Scott Walker influence. And, you know, he doesn't have the same voice as Scott Walker, but I think you can see there's a certain spirit there that they share, especially from Scott's later, well, post 2000 stuff. Yeah, it was very funny when we had our little conversation because he was very humble in terms of being unable to reach these vocal heights of Walker. And he would always uh, he would always uh, talk about specific uh, production choices, specific experimentations, and then bring up how he felt that it kind of ran short of what Walker did. And um, I, I assured him that it pretty much is not that far off. I, I very much agree uh, in that. John, what did you think of uh, 
House of Lull, House of When. Yeah, I think it's an interesting album. And, you know, again, I mean, I think even more in that spoken word kind of direction, which is, again, like we've mentioned, this, this sort of a lot of projects that are mining those templates this time around. But I, I yeah, I appreciate it also, just all the different sonic elements. And, you know, he's it has a pretty compelling voice. Um, and there's a there are a lot of different, uh, I mean, it's not like a hook album to me, right? I mean, it's not like a, like, they don't have hooks per se, but there's a lot of emotional tethers. I mean, I, I, and that's true for some of these other albums that we've mentioned that are kind of use that spoken word approach and uh, it's atmospheric, very much about kind of the presence of a voice. It's not so much song oriented. It's almost more like a, um, like a monologue, like somebody doing a monologue with a bunch of sonic elements like a cacophony going on at the same time so i think it was a pretty compelling album and i i mean it, it's distinct enough from daughters but certainly there are similarities as rob said i mean there, there are connections there the voice is, is recognizable even though it's uh you know he's doing some different things with it again i'm not sure like where it'll be in my rotation going forward but i think i i, I think i should spend more time with it it did impact me and at the end of it i felt like it's an interesting album i I don't know how much it like really how much I was moved by it you know how evocative it was for me but very well done album great Carlo what is your take on Alexis Marshall debut solo album yeah so I I was a fan of this album I I did enjoy it I it resonated with me I do love the percussive elements that's something that I've been learning to appreciate more and more um as I I've realized through as I've developed as I've been developing as a, as a listener of music and maybe the This just has to do with my own personal history and what I've enjoyed listening to. But as I was listening to this album, I was reminded a lot of the microphones. Um, I was reminded of specifically after the Globe R2, um, how... Phil Elverum, um, just the way he would almost be yearning um, at certain points on that album. I saw distinct parallels um, with Alexis Marshall here. So yeah, it, it is an album that at first I was equally surprised with what it sounds like everybody else has been talking about so far. It was not at all what I was expecting, um, but I was able to get into it um, very quickly. Something else I was kind of surprised, I, I didn't know until I was doing research into the album was um lingua ignata uh to kind of bring things full circle her voice her um vocal contributions on um religion as leader um which is actually one of my i think it was my favorite track on this album so to see to see the two of them um collaborating i i enjoyed a lot but yeah overall this record um, for also being a record that I felt like he really captured this depth of despair and this loneliness in a way that it resonated with me. And I think it worked without it being, I feel like when you approach an album in that way, it can be very hard to let that atmosphere and let that emotion completely bog down the album to the point where it is a depressive listen. It definitely moved me in those ways. It didn't overwhelm the record for me. Like there was still enough inventiveness um, um, to and there was just the way the album was put together it, it, it did not drag it down in a way and it didn't completely distract I felt like he accomplished what he wanted to do so overall um, yeah I, I enjoyed this record a lot yeah I am as well uh 
a huge fan of this album. I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. What I found very interesting, and I talked to Kyle about this, who I think wrote the review for us. Yes, he did. What I found very interesting when we talked about this and kind of, you know, compared our notes on it, he also remarked what a dark album it is. And I have to be honest, I actually find it quite exhilarating. I don't find it all yeah. that uh, depressing. It is tonally definitely quite dark, but I find it an extremely exhilarating experience. Hounds in the Abyss, when Marshall constantly regurgitates this very throaty, are you, are you the one calls up my father's, it's, it's so exhilarating. There is an anger to these songs and a sense of, of powerfulness and a sense of confrontation that I think is sorely missed from many, many current records. He does an incredible job using his voice on pretty much all of these tracks. He finds very, very unique ways to uh, approach the subject matters, which, uh, and, and we discussed this, which are both incredibly cryptic sometimes, and at other times, actually quite easy to, to see through. And I don't mean that in terms of his intention, but it's easy to see the theme that he's going for. It's easy to feel connected to the type of language that he has and the type of images he, uh, he conjures. It's, it's in itself a very, very just uh, well-rounded effort, I think. And as someone who, uh, you know, has grown up with, uh, with all sorts of avant-garde music, especially here in Germany, where many, many, many of the great German bands of the past are sort of avant-garde. It, it is just something which I find incredibly re-listenable and incredibly enjoyable. It almost, like, and I say this also with a little bit of a smirk, but it almost has a pop appeal to me where there's so many moments on these tracks where you want to sing along or scream along, mm. which... Carlo, what you just described, that that moment or these moments where um, Kristen Hater is just screaming, uh, young man, you have no other over and over again. It is just so invigorating. It is so filled with life and spirit and attitude. My God, what a wonderful record. I feel like that's so German of you to enjoy this record in that way. Because I love <laughs> it as much as you, but I would never say it's like got a pop appeal. Or... And as John A was saying, uh, he was saying it wouldn't go in the rotation. I would say, yeah, it's not one that you put in rotation is one you just pull out when you have a certain feeling that you want to yeah. you want to get yeah. a bit creeped out i mean i have to be and, honest and, and know, point uh, about it being similar to the microphones was also quite interesting that's a good observation yeah wow uh, but i feel like um the yearning of phil elverham has some hope in it whereas the yearning of alexis marshall is absolutely hopeless and cold but i do see the similarities in texture as well and also what john was saying about the language i feel like he writes in short easy to understand sentences like that what you were just saying are you the one standing out outside my window all night it's not like i sensed the spirit outside i think it's like no this is happening yeah uh, right in this with him i'm going to make an interesting comparison there with the microphones and i'm not sure if this is uh, on point or if this is just my drink speaking here but i feel like uh Elverum on on uh on the globe part two he almost feels like a superhero he has these kind of questions towards the world where he has this you know he has kind of this explorative arc of of confrontation with nature, of confrontation with the other, of looking for God, of looking for something else, looking for something bigger. Uh, whereas uh, Alexis Marshall on uh, House of Lol, House of When almost feels like the classic comic book villain, the anti-hero. 
mm. who is constantly confronting something outside of his reach, which at the end of the day is something which is larger than him and which he has to confront. I think that is always this dichotomy in superhero uh, narratives where you have on one side, you always have the savior figure who's kind of questioning, why am I this thing? What is this world I am in? Do I really have to do this? Is this really my role? Do I have to even deal with this? And on the other hand, you have uh, the character that is forced to act and they are forced to act because they're being confronted with something um, that in, in a way that basically takes the monstrousness inside of them to the forefront, that basically grabs for their shadow and externalizes this shadow onto them. And I think that is something uh, which maybe is, Rob, why you said uh, that to you, this is not inherently listenable or enjoyable. To be honest, like, I, I mean, this is also something very specific for me where I grew up with a very specific radio program, which would, uh, which would always, almost like every single time, play Fit uh, uh, Ego by uh, Einstein's Neubauten. And so I already have like a little bit of a different uh, predisposition towards the pop appeal of uh, screaming people and of avant-garde clanking and these things. But I really do think there is, um, there is a lot of moments on this record which are just so catchy and which are just so, uh, you know, you, you, you kind of want to repeat these mantras which she has on this album. It's, it's something which I find, uh, as I said, quite, quite beautiful in its own way. Is this it? Any final thoughts on the Alexis Marshall album? Is there a specific moment, maybe a favorite or least favorite or just something that stands out or something that surprised you on repeated listen that you would like to mention? What has been kind of said was that, you know, there, there's a there is a versatility here that's easy to miss, particularly vocally. He's, he's very he's very talented at, at covering a lot of energetic and emotional ground with, with a relatively small palette. And then, of course, all there's all the sonic elements to add in. But I'm just talking about his, his, just his voice, just from, uh, from a vocal standpoint. On that, I, I think that the twin tracks he does in it, uh, Youth is Religion, Religion is Leader, where he says the same words in both songs, but they sound so different, not only because of the backing, but because of the way he's singing them and uh, delivering them. It's quite a different tenor he gets out. And I should also, that's one highlight. One other, the other one I mentioned earlier was the, is the spinning coins, which I think is such an effective, especially they've recorded them so well, you hear it all the way to the end of the spin and you can just picture it in your head as it's doing it. I don't know what it is. It, it pairs so perfectly with, with his style. Yeah, there's also a moment which I still haven't fully identified, which we talked about. Let's just say where he uh, brutalized Bacon. <laughs> that is, yeah, I, I still haven't fully identified it in the recording, but we talked a little bit about this when he mentioned Bacon and I, I kind of jumped in and was like, hold on, wh which is the Bacon song, please? And uh, yeah, he's he's doing um, incredible work on this album. And um, that, that brings it back to Scott Walker you've seen the 30th century man where he's recording uh what's it called the drift and he's punching the the calf you remember that yes he has hired the the boxer who was punching the the, yeah. the call for the pig I think it is a pig but I'm not quite certain I could be off here yeah he also there, there was I will never forget this there was a live performance of some of these late Scott Walker era songs in London and uh, I, I sadly couldn't go apparently and back then an acquaintance of mine she was in line but then decided for whatever reason oh this is taking too long I basically left and there's only like I don't know like two or three short clips on YouTube of it for that live concert for the same song he also hired I think it's yeah it's Clara he hired a boxer to punch a piece of meat a 
hanging piece of, of, of animal cadaver uh, during that performance as well. And sadly, this was before iPhones uh, were widely available. So there's only short snippets of it available. Uh, it's quite something. Whenever people punch meat on records, it's just something that immediately makes me think there's the pop appeal. That is something that I want to, uh, that is something that I want to play during DJ sets or um, whenever <laughs> I see my parents again for dinner. <laughs> All right. Take a big slab of meat when next time you go home, hang it, hang it from the, uh, dining room ceiling. Well, I'm actually a pescatarian, so I would uh, not advise uh, <laughs> buying meat. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm happy we can all agree on um, the new Alexis Marshall album. Are you? An album uh, where I'm sure we won't agree on, uh, because I already know that we all have very different opinions about it, is the new Billie Eilish record. Let's start with Carl. What did you think of Billie Eilish's sophomore album? Yeah, so I I was a fan, actually. I, I, I did like this record. I liked I liked her new approach. Um, I remember there was like, I liked how um, easygoing some of the tracks were. My Future, for example, I felt like that was such a pleasant sounding track. As I was listening to this album, I was reminded a little bit of Lord and her new singles. Just a very breezy, different approach. Um, not not necessarily, of course, all the time, but I did get like similar parallels um, or at least, at I, least was I was making some some similar thoughts of that in my head. There was some spoken word moments, which I feel stood out to me. Um, so that was like, um, not my responsibility. That song in particular, like stood out. I was like, okay, like you're, you're being very upfront with what you, with what you're talking about. There's no, there's no nuance, which I, I really appreciated as well. So overall, like there was beautiful guitar strumming on like your power. Um, I enjoyed her first record. She's not somebody that I always go to. But I, I was also, I, I could see myself spinning this record a few times over the summer. Overall, I, I did enjoy it. All right. There is a positive opinion right here. Rob, what did you think of the new Billie Eilish album? Yeah, I, admittedly, I also really like it. I thought I was going to be the only one here who liked it. But I guess Harrison and yourself are the ones who are most against it. But um, on Carlo picked up on the spoken word one on Not My Responsibility. I don't know if you guys read Pitchfork's review at all, but they pointed out that that song was originally created to be like an intermission part in her live show and mm. i think that once you know that it really you can tell that and it makes a lot more sense as that because you know when you're in the middle of a billy eilish show and she's going saying all these really powerful statements you're like yeah fuck yeah billy but in the middle of this album it kind of it sags things a bit yeah indeed it wasn't just meant for she she actually actively used it and uh, i saw that because there was like a brief news item here and there that she had this uh this video clip which she played during the song or demo of the song where she was essentially uh, it, it was a video clip of herself in front of a black background essentially undressing uh, not fully but she was taking a, a sweater off she was taking a t-shirt off like the baggy clothes were coming off and she was left in her underwear and uh, which obviously would lead to a lot of accelerated screams during the concert but yeah it was very much a strong statement for her because uh, during these concert videos she was sort of removing all of these baggy clothes which uh, she 
she talked a lot about was sort of her armor towards um, the gay and oftentimes male gaze of, uh, you know, critics, audiences in general, but mostly also men. Yeah, but okay, leaving that aside, I think it's a really smart album. And uh, one of the, you said, mentioned how different it is to Lord Carlo. I think someone on Twitter of course, uh, smartly or pithily said, you know, one of the main reasons that this album stands out from the rest is that it's not involved Jack Antonoff, you know, because he's worked with everyone else at the moment. Uh, and her brother Phineas, she and he have a great relationship, I think. And um, I think she's only 19 and she's singing all these things about, oh, I'm so rich and, and famous that I can't do anything and I can't go anywhere and I have to make my hookup sign an NDA and all this stuff, which I find really interesting. But I think the production has a lot to do with that because if she was singing this stuff like woe is me stuff over like big bombastic likes uh pop songs you would go oh, well who fucking cares you're rich whereas she's like um she's doing it she, you feel her like on this you feel that these are real words and how she's really feeling and the production really emphasizes that melancholy that she's feeling so i think it's a smart move on that part and i think there are some bangers nestled in it as mm-hmm. well i think nda is one of my favorite songs of the year and the video was great too your power is a beautiful song odd choice for lead single very odd choice but another great one that shows she's got great maturity especially at this age so i don't know if she's going to keep rattling off an album every two years i reckon she might slow down but we'll see all right it seems like this is sort of a home run for billy at this point john do you disagree with Carlo or Rob, or are you continuing the praise? Uh, I, I think it was a pretty interesting album. I actually reviewed this one, and I, it, it, to me, it was just such a solid seven. And uh, I, I do think it, I do think she did a good job of individuating herself with this album, particularly from Lord. And I think she also sort of took on kind of being a um, like a young torch singer in a in a kind of an electronic context. I think I think it was I think it was well done. Like I think um, Oxytoxin, I think is the name of the, one of the tracks um i just thought that was a gem her voice is sultry and she's very melodic the electronic soundscape is perfect hit on a lot of, of strong things w- with the album and, and also the way she dealt with like throughout the album obviously um fame and trying to contend with it those are huge themes and i think she did a good job of addressing all that um without at all sounding spoiled or entitled or you know that whole thing of like somebody who's famous talking about i mean you know that's a theme that's been used a lot and there's a lot of people who who probably didn't didn't come out very well at the end of it you know like like people didn't love of hearing somebody who's famous talk about how hard their life is but, but I think she did a, a pretty I think very she came across as a very as, as very human um very down to earth uh it was easy to empathize with her and to, and to sort of get on board um and then uh beyond that yeah I think vocally she did a good job and some of those soundscapes which I, I guess are primarily um come out of her relationship with her brother I think some of those soundscapes are phenomenal um so to me it was a pretty pretty solid album I, I could see listening to that more you know it's 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 pretty intriguing it's one of those projects that actually grew on me uh, when I first listened to it I wasn't as hooked by it so to speak but um it really grew on me I like the textures a lot and I, I think she comes across as as uh, somebody who's really individuating herself as an artist wow great praise <laughs> especially regarding like herself individual individuating herself as an artist at the very young age of uh, of 19 yeah I am a little more torn on this record. I overall don't think this is a bad album. 
I wouldn't say that she has sort of created like this big sophomore slump that is absolutely terrible, that leaves so much to be desired. My relationship with her in general is that I thought the debut was a very interesting uh, record, very current sounding, but it had that genuine adolescent tone in many, many ways, both lyrically, but also in kind of like the weird vibes that it had here and there, the slight vocoders, the, the slight voice changes. Like there were all these like minimal things that Phineas did on the production of these tracks, which I thought really lent themselves well to, you know, let, let's say young ears to a very young perspective of someone who's just, you know, really getting into music and, you know, find someone who basically integrates experimentation and a more expressionistic approach to music into their approach of pop. And I appreciate that a lot, even if also it's not my favorite pop album of all time. I, I think it's a very, very interesting album. In the case of this new album, I don't think it is overall very interesting musically. Uh, I, I think the strong, I think the strong element of this record is truly the lyrics. Uh, I, I think that is something which all of you also have kind of said that it's fascinating just how well she talks about uh, celebrityhood, about being uh, in the limelight, about how uh, she's subjected to so many situations that are just uh, not normal. And as someone who has criticized a few pop records during my heyday, it, it is something which I always feel passionate about to kind of talk how the mainstream industry, like the mainstream of the music industry, the big labels and uh, the PR machine that is behind these pop stars is kind of dehumanizing them in a way which is, uh, and, and not just in a bad way, but even in the way where pop stars become these like perfect human beings that once when actually the mask slips, uh, you see that there's more below them. And I think NDA is also something that hints at that. This idea of you're on a date with someone, whatever the nature of the date is, at the end of it will always be the NDA of you really can't talk about what just happened. And there is a lot of stories about big pop stars handing out these NDA to their ex-lovers, ex-boyfriends, etc. because it is something that could potentially endanger their uh, their image in the mainstream. And I, I find that always like so fascinating when a pop star actually like up and speaks out about these things because it's incredibly rare. At most, usually you get something like Taylor Swift when she, uh, when she talked about 1989 and she talked about how there was this disastrous accident which she had and how she felt kind of this dysphoria of experiencing something so traumatizing, which nobody in the public consciousness would know about. Usually you never see past that. Usually it's rumors. Usually it's people alluding to, oh, you know, like uh, specifically like Taylor Swift had an entire, like around the reputation era was uh, that time when all of these like dark secrets of her were alluded to and kind of came out and uh, this like yellow press articles about her, but they never really came to the forefront or they never really were uh, further explained than uh, what was kind of these illusions. And I think that Eilish uh, dealing with these problems and dealing with her own perspective is all over the record. It's, it's in most of these songs where she kind of completely breaks down this idea of being a, a mass marketable figure, kind of regaining her humanity and kind of talking about herself as a teenager who still doesn't know who she is. Even, even though we all aren't teenagers, I think this is also something which we all can relate to uh, even later in life, um, still struggling with identity and struggling with questions related to that, that she approaches herself as being removed from this physical image, which is also something which I think she actually does with the artwork connected to this album. Uh, this idea of herself as this kind of like 50s or early 60s bombshell, which is the complete opposite of the actual Billie Eilish, who is 
who is singing these songs and who is uh, writing these lyrics. I appreciate all of that a lot. The problem that I have is that I, I, I don't really connect with the songwriting here. I think a few of these songs are neat. Something like, for example, um, Billy Bossanova, a very neat song, but it's not something which I feel just that interested in. It is decent, but as we just discussed with the Kanye West material, I don't think that this is material that stands out as much as her debut does. I think the moments that are most interesting are the ones where she completely abandons, like the pop formula, like on the spoken word track we spoke about. I also really, really enjoy the opening track, which I think has an almost Beatles quality to it via Elliot Smith. Uh, it is something which uh, that constantly reminds me of pictures of me, which I don't know if that is something which uh, is an actual uh, reference point here or just something which uh, comes from my unconscious. But it, it, the most fascinating is always when she kind of leaves behind the things which she did best on the debut. And I think the reason for that is that I just think Phineas isn't really doing that much with the production here. I think he is making a very, very well-rounded and very kind of mature album, which I also think people that aren't uh, as young as her core fan base could enjoy. But it's not something which I feel is that unique or that special or even that emotional when it comes to like musical approaches. John, while you said you would go with a solid seven, I think I would go with a solid six. I don't think this is a bad album at all. I think it is pleasant to play, but I don't have a feeling like this is the definitive statement of Billie Eilish. I think this is the album where she wants to remove herself from the idea of Billie Eilish, but who she is going to be going forward, from my perspective, will be more interesting than this. Yeah, I mean, I think, again, she sort of, the strength to me is that she, I think, is finding herself as a singer and also as a singer who can work with, I don't know, I could even see her moving in a, in, a, in a jazz direction. Even with the debut, I mean, Melody is not really, I mean, actually, I was surprised in some ways that the debut did as well as it did, because, I mean, it's not like, I mean, there, there are other albums out there with, like, that are just chock full of hooks. That's not, that's not her, her albums. It's not even the, the debut isn't like that. Really, in a way, the strength of her, I think, are the beats. I mean, particularly like that oxytoxin piece. It's just, it's just mesmerizing in terms of the of that tempo and the and the and the pulse of the, of it you know but um yeah it, it's probably um a transitional album for her and it, and it grew on me I, I think I probably was somewhere in this in this in the six area initially mostly because I felt like there really wasn't there there wasn't a lot of sense of melody and I mean even lyrically I mean I think it's I think she does a good job of navigating this theme of how to navigate celebrity or even how to navigate being being a young human being. But, you know, I mean, it's diaristic. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like you can see that whole lineage of of like Sylvia Plath and Anne Sexton. It's got that sort of, I hate to say, I don't like using this, but I will say, like sort of footnotes to confessionalism. I mean, that's the lyrical legacy to me, but it, it grew on me. I think the textures, um, there, there's some kind of, I, I also like, there's sort of a, kind of like a stoner, druggy-ish vibe, which <laughs> I have to say, I like that. I like that vibe, even though I don't get stoned much anymore, right? right oh, actually. You know, she and her brother have shared a few. They, I'm sure they have. Uh, but that's I would like to know if um if Britney Spears has heard this album because I bet she can relate to it more than anyone as someone who became a pop star at that yeah. time and yeah. then didn't get to have any freedom couldn't even make the music she wanted oh but obviously I don't know if Britney can even is even allowed to listen to music or not yeah we might hear about that 
going forward dependent on her court case, uh, how, how that comes out. Yeah, any more thoughts on Billy Avis' new album? Carlo, anything else you have to add? The one thing that also stood out to me, I, I guess I would say, was um, on the title track, um, especially at the start, at the beginning of the track, uh, her vocals reminded me a little bit of Phoebe Bridgers. That was before it like really gets, before like the beat really starts rolling in, um, that I don't know why that stuck out to me, but there were a few moments where I was like, this could have been possibly a Phoebe Bridgers song. I, I did think like it would be a great PR move if she became the fourth member of Boy Genius. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh man. I want to say really quickly too, John, you brought up the, the cover and I, I was sort of intrigued by the cover too. And it was interesting for me, what, what struck me in a way was that the cover, um, it, it looked to me like almost like she was wearing a hospital gown. And then she, and then she was in this sort of empty blank room with a tear coming down her cheek, you know, and it's just happier than ever. I mean, obviously the, you know, she, she, she's clearly not happier than ever, but I, but it sort of had that, that feel of like, it struck me as like a modern day Marilyn Monroe in a mental institution. Yeah. It's very much of that Monroe pose of that. I think that famous uh, Playboy photo, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's very indicative of that. And obviously she's also playing with this idea of liminal spaces and putting herself as like this, like classic uh, sex bomb image. Um, as I said, like fifties, um, early sixties, into this liminal space. She's doing it very subtly. That is that is also a question which I have kind of in, you know, it's, it's one which I find must remain unanswered where I feel like maybe subtlety here was the wrong approach. If from my perspective, if she would have gotten a backdrop that is just, just as chaotic, just as uncomfortable, you would have something that actually goes into uncanny valley territory. I think it would have made for an even more interesting album, especially with these themes. I think that there are moments there, as you just described also with the artwork, that are really, really nice and that give you this like liminal feel that something's wrong, something here is kind of, you know, something here is broken a little bit but i wish just that she had gone a little bit more extreme and a little further down that road i just think it would have been even more interesting and even more unique i i think that with this album i'm open to it gaining on me but i also am a little worried that maybe there is a road that she could take from here and that would be further into this direction of almost easy listening, easy listening beats and easy listening with a twist. And I would wish that she would just go more into the twist direction. But that is pretty much also just, you know, my approach as um, as it comes from my taste. That could be what we're going to get from the Halsey album. Halsey might end up eating Billy's lunch this summer, you know, the yeah. late summer smash pop album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And also uh, one thing which I'm holding out hope for is that she will, to a certain degree, uh, bring other collaborators in there, which will bring uh, more unique touches and I don't mean Jack Antonoff here for certain I, I mean, really mean uh, people that could bring something to this music that is lacking from modern pop music and I think it's something which um, I could see her be interested in definitely mm-hmm. we were talking about Sophie earlier you could imagine if Sophie was still around they could they would eventually work together I bet mm-hmm. oh, that would have been really really amazing yeah that would yeah. have yeah, that would have been incredibly interesting okay then we will leave it here and we're gonna move on Maybe you should leave. 
Let's talk about our third and final album for today, which is Lingua Ignota's Sinner Get Ready. Obviously, I have reviewed this album uh, extensively, if I may say so. So I want to open it up to the room. John, what did you think of Lingua Ignota's third album, Sinner Get Ready? I mean, I, I think she's a fascinating person and persona. The, the way she uh, embraces this, this sense of, uh, of the mystic, trying to connect with the absolute, um, and also this merging of so-called dark and light energies. You know, for, for, for a mystic, good and evil are not cut and dry. They're not dualities. So she's really navigating that well. And I think actually... Christina Esfandiari does as well in her own way, but not to the degree that uh, Kristen Hader does. So yeah, I appreciated your review. I think you really went, you got at it directly and obliquely. I reviewed this album too, it was much shorter. Uh, I would have liked to have been able to, to write a more expansive piece. So I really appreciated it. Uh, how you how you got at it from different angles but um yeah i i think uh this is uh an interesting follow-up to uh caligula which to me i mean it's almost a sin that that it did not that it, that wasn't on our um dark albums feature i think caligula should have been on there for sure but uh it's um she is really, and again, it's not, I mean, she's not uh, necessarily working in a pop paradigm. Um, these are these are, are very raw, mostly spoken word statements, although she's got that operatic element as well. Ambiently, it's a little more subdued than Caligula, uh, which I actually think works. Um, I sort of missed the cacophonies of Caligula. There's a little bit of that, but but I also thought it really worked. I think this is a, a, a really, I mean, to me, it's a top five album. Um so far of 2021. Yeah, she, she I think, is bringing a very, um, she, she's dealing with some complex themes that, that are really, I think, almost as more literary. You know, this is like Paradise Lost, John Donne, you know, even the mystics like John of the Cross, Teresa of Avia, this, this craving and yearning for the absolute to transcend the self. And yet that, that never happening in, in any final sense. There's, there are only temporary transcendences at best. And so all the all the despair and desire, and actually on the final track, even a sense of resolve, is almost kind of like an odd manic pivot at the end there, which at first I have to admit I felt was a little disparate or a little, yeah, like it broke the spell in some ways. But but I don't know. I, I think the more I listened to it, um, the more I, I got it that um, that she was both ecstatic and profoundly devastated at the same time. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it's, a, I think it's a, a pretty stellar album. I, I continue to appreciate it deeply. Well said. Very well said. I think that we will probably dive a little bit more into the mystic talk later. Uh, Carlo, what did you make of Sinna Get Ready? This was um, my first time listening to uh, Lingua Ignata. I had not listened to Caligula. I have added that to my list, my ever-growing list of things to check out. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. I really enjoyed this record. I, When I first listened to it, I was a little bit overwhelmed in its intensity. The first couple tracks, I was very taken aback by just the ominousness of her voice and the instrumentation, the organs, all of that. I really needed to um, just take a step back and like really listen and pay attention to what was going on. There, there was a lot um, and not in a bad way, not in a bad way at all, which obviously was intentional. That was the first thing that really, that really caught my attention. What I appreciated with this album as I 
moved through it was I noticed it started off incredibly intense, but then slowly I felt, even though her, the lyrical content didn't let go, I felt like there was almost like a, a release. Um, the music got easier and it got gentler, um, which I really appreciated. There was Pennsylvania Furnace, for example, was the first track where I was like, okay, I can appreciate the approach of the album, how it did start off very intense. And then you were able to just kind of let go. And I felt like it was a very intentional, she was very intent on taking the listeners on a journey. And I think she, I think she pulled it off. Overall, I think the album was, yeah, constructed in a way that made you really hold on to um, the content because it is, it, it is very, it, it struck me as a very dark album as well, which it is, but I felt like instrumentally the approach was handled in a way that made it um, not accessible, but trying to think of the appropriate word, it, it, it's not accessible, but um, kept listeners on or like it didn't turn them oh, didn't turn them away, I think is, is more of what I'm trying to say. Yeah, overall, this album I did enjoy. It's definitely up there for me as well. This and Daughters, listening to both of these projects, I felt like there was a little bit of similarity just in their experimentation and um, the spoken word, of course, but um, overall a, a very, very solid record. Yeah, and you mentioned something which uh, I didn't mention too much in uh, in my review, which is that there's almost a journey to these songs, that there is a sort of dynamic to them that feels like it is a cohesive narrative, maybe even. I, I think one of the Rosetta Stones of this album is how uh, she constantly refers in the lyrics uh, to this mantra. And I, th I think it's something that is also a little bit obtuse, but she, she always uses this mantra, I wish things could be different. I wish things could be any other way. And I think in many ways, this narrative, which, which develops itself over these tracks, it, it's kind of, the more you dig into why she uses these lyrics, the more you realize what she actually is singing about. And the more it becomes apparent that this is thematically a very different work from All Bitches Die and Caligula. So I'm incredibly curious what Rob's, may, uh, what Rob's take is on the album, as I know that he also said that he had quite an intense experience with it after a few listens. Rob, what did you make of this album? I also have written about this album a much more entry-level review than yours, John, which is, uh, I think, the quintessential read on this album for anyone who wants to, you know, feel the atmosphere of it in writing. But yeah, I listened to Caligula like only once or twice and for some reason, I didn't go back to it that much. I don't know. It's similar with this one. It's it's hard to find a time to put on a on a lingua ignota record. I don't know, John. I don't know if you guys would agree, but um, because I was reviewing this one, I kept going back to it. And you know, maybe the first five or six times, I kept thinking, "Yeah, this is really good. The instrumentation is really interesting. Her voice is incredible, and she's using all this crazy, you know, religious language." And then I don't know. After a certain time, when I could just focus on it on my earphones, I was like, "Oh, I realize how committed." she is to this i don't know this persona this character of of trying to expose the horrors of these evil these people who believe that anyone who doesn't believe what they believe deserve death and i think it was actually the the choice of samples that she has that made me realize it particularly the one towards the end where the guy is interviewing the woman who won't take any protection against covid and she's like because i'm covered in jesus blood i'm covered in jesus blood he's gonna it will protect me and i was like oh that's kind of what she's kind of i don't know if caricaturing is a bit unfair 
further she's just caricaturing that through the whole record but using it like doing with extreme piousness and i don't know the even though she's singing about god and, and whatever and deliverance and and reaching heaven she's also singing with a bloodlust and using these instrument instruments of appellation instruments i looked at the credits and it's like dulcimers and and loads of other weird shit you've never heard of and yeah she actually moved to or she was living in rural pennsylvania at the time of making the record you know near where these kinds of people live so that's how committed she was to she and she's fully she's fully in it you know she's i don't know it's more than cosplaying she's she's committed and you can that really adds so much electricity to the whole thing yeah i think especially that last track it delivers a very subtle sense of horror and i think anyone who has uh, anyone who has seen a horror film that centers on a cult like a christian cult uh, can relate because oftentimes there is uh, moments in these narratives where the congregation is singing a hymn while something very hideous is happening uh, I, I think there is a similar scene in kevin smith's red state for example there is something very horrific in how she twists these lyrics and she kind of brings to the forefront how this delusion of coronavirus deniers kind of is almost like a death cult in the sense that they uh, all of a sudden start appreciating ugliness and loneliness and the uh, the dark side of human behavior. Uh, I, I think it's a very, very chilling song. I actually think it might be the most chilling track on the entire album because it's just so uh, so bleak in that sense. So did you uh, did you find, let's say, some comfort in this record or uh, is it something which now you can and you can divide from like a dark experience as you had it before i don't know when i listen to it i still hear it as a dark record but i did write in my re review about how you know Kristen of all people kind of knows about getting something from a higher power because she had to get twenty thousand dollars or whatever from her fans to help her pay for a spinal surgery so she knows what like real good is in the world and and she knows that what charity is and selflessness is and i don't know i guess by exposing all these people in this review she's kind of obliquely referencing that in a way so there's a little bit of hope for it i i agree with that i'm actually quite surprised how little this procedure really pops up as a theme on the record uh i i almost don't want to get too much into it because i think everything i i have to say is in in the piece that i wrote what i will say is that i'm and i, I mentioned that before i'm fascinated with how uh, different thematically this album is from All Bitches Die and Caligula. And I don't mean like musically, I mean, it's obvious that All Bitches Die is an industrial record. It's obvious that Caligula is a very ironic twist on the metal genre in many ways and on this idea of machismo in music. I'm mostly surprised that she has completely abandoned this, this very direct approach of just talking about uh, revenge and about uh, abuse survivors. She, it could still be that it is possible to interpret the album this way and interpret the lyrics these ways but I think there is something much more abject going on here from the cover artwork where she wears this mask which almost looks like uh, she's on fire and the skin is bubbling uh, also again a very horrific image to as I said the repetition of these mantras that there seems to be um, this time around a certain sense of unfulfilledness which she is characterizing in many ways that she is uh, also playing with the idea of uh, defenselessness this time around because in the beginning she was always and on the first two albums she was always the one with the agency and the one who had the defense 
right there, sometimes in the palm of her hand. This time around, there is a certain distance as characterized by her, like, no, I've been watching you alone in the home with your family. I, I think that this album is her most personal, actually. I think this is the album where she removes herself from clear imagery, but she gives even more of herself, which would also explain to me why apparently she was very anxious that people would hate this record. I, I think it is an extraordinary album. I find it almost hard to talk about it in a qualitative of style because I think it transcends that. I think it becomes something uh, something very, very unique, which we find very rarely in, in our day, which, as John has said before, there are certain aspects here of, of, uh, of mysticism and of larger narratives of, um, of almost a gargantuan work of, uh, of art, both musically and in the written language. It is something which I think people will take or have to take a long time to properly uh, assert what is actually going on with it. And I'm not sure, I mean, maybe also uh, you guys have your own interpretations on what this work is about. So I'd like to hear a little bit more, uh, a little bit more maybe about that. Uh, Rob already has uh, let us know a little bit from how he reads this. So I would be curious what uh, you think, uh, Carlo and John. Somehow I keep thinking of the um, King Willen and and this and Sinner Get Ready as, as sort of like complementary albums. I mean, I, I almost, they're very distinct, but I also, it was interesting that they came out a week apart. I think they're both in their own way, put, you know, like you mentioned, John, like pushing against these patriarchal structures. I mean, they're, they're I mean, particularly with the um, Lingua Ignata album, you can't help but hear that, you know, it's the voice of the female mystic in a, a history that's so male dominated. And with Esfandiari, it's, it's similar. I mean, she's very much, I mean, there are some of those not remembering exactly now, but there, there are so many times where she's like pushing against against these uh, different standards for different people. But I just, I don't know. I think the, I think the Lingua Ignata album in a way is is just a, um, a stunning album. I mean, I, I think uh, actually, I think King Woman is a, a more consummate album. I mean, I think it, it is like a, it is like a, it, it works so well on so many levels, but somehow I'm more drawn to the Lingua Ignata album. And I, and I think a lot of it is energetic. She has done a, a, an amazing job of pointing towards something that is, more than what she does on the album. Like every time I listen to that, I, I find myself tapped into a whole set of existential questions. And I mean, she's really getting at the at the core of what it means to be alive. What are our primary impulses? Obviously, questions about the relationship between human and God, death, life, eros. I mean, you know, what, whatever it might be. Um, so I, I think this, like you just really got at, John, I mean, I think it's um, I think it's one of the most sublime projects we've had this year. Matter of fact, I mean, in quite some time, it's a pretty unique album. Um, I thought Caligula was too, actually. To me, that's a pretty dynamite album. I mean, actually, in some ways, I think it's it's almost a more consummate album in terms of gestalts, like sonic and lyric and vocal gestalts. But um, but this album is fascinating to me, and I think it is because it's it seems like she's more exposed, more vulnerable, broader range of emotions. I, I think it's a pretty unique accomplishment. Yeah, I feel Caligula is actually more playful because Caligula has this, um, you know, she's also using classical pieces in it. Uh, she's using, as I said, like this irony regarding like male machismo and metal and then rap that she kind of transports into the sphere of, of 
her own music. And uh, I, I think also the lyrics in Caligula are oftentimes incredibly funny. Um, I, I forgot if it's Do You Doubt Me, Traitor, but like where, where she used these lines, like, I am the cunt killer, throw your body in the yeah. fucking water, where, where she's like playing really with these ridiculous images and ridiculous tones and sings them uh, almost like an opera singer, but it just becomes incredibly, like, like this imagery becomes so distorted through this. And I think in the case of Sin, I Get Ready, this distortion, it, it's, it's not there. It's like everything she does here, even if it's obfuscated, it's incredibly direct. When she sings, do you want to be in hell with me? There's a certain irony in the piano that goes down like, dun, 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 dun. Like there's a certain irony in it, but at the same time, it's completely genuine. Again, I think the imagery which she delivers there is just, um, it's just incredible. Like my thesis as, as you know, I let on a little bit, I think is that the album can be interpreted from different perspectives if it's different people talking about it because what this album really is about and what it does and what she specifically says is just so uh, so unbelievably suggestive and in a way also um, again incredibly beautiful. Carlo what is your take on the album in terms of its philosophy maybe? One of the things that I found so interesting, and just speaking more broadly, um, not just with this album, um, when I think about a work like this, I think she makes very apparent, in my opinion, the dangers of religion or the hypocrisy that comes with religion, specifically Christianity here, how there's this idea of being a good Christian and being a good Christian means being good to your neighbor or, um, you know, treating people with kindness or helping out people, helping out those people in need. And how Christianity, when taken too far, can actually be quite hurtful and be quite violent and be quite abusive and exclusionary and everything that the religion supposedly isn't going, isn't everything that supposedly um, your religion stands for ends up just being turned upside down. I got, that's like the overall take that I, or part of the take that I got from this record is that she's kind of, she is exposing that, but she's doing it for a purpose. Like there's, there's a reason why it's happening. And when I always think of work like this, or even in film, um, when I think of, um, when I think of like gratuitous violence in film for example like it's it it has to happen for a reason like there's a reason why you're seeing this there's a reason why the director has has chosen to show you this particular scene yeah with uh sinner get ready i very much got that she's she's showing us this because there is a dark side to religion and there's also um there's almost a tragedy that comes with this kind of um intense religious beliefs that that's that's another takeaway that i get um so for example going back to yeah the the vocal sample of people who are refusing to get vaccinated or people who are um just very much in the belief that religion can save them there is like a blinded tragedy that comes with that that is very very um upsetting to people who don't subscribe who don't subscribe to christianity or or any religion there's this kind you're kind and this is me coming from the outside looking at this yeah there's a there's very much a tragedy that comes with this sort of intense religious subscription so yeah i think that she does that very well um she brings she brings to the forefront the kind of um horrors almost that can come with this this sort of religious these intense religious beliefs yeah it's as somebody who has studied a little bit of theology one thing which struck me also is how and i think i that is also something which is apparent in the 
the text that I wrote is that in theology, there, there is a lot of thinkers who basically put forth the idea that these Christian concepts like heaven and hell are not actual places, but that they are something within us, actually, that we inhabit hell and heaven in our life and in our actions. And I think that it's very telling how she suggestively uses uh, this image of centralia to bring back this idea of the fires of hell burn on and on. There is something cyclical to the suffering, which she um, characterizes here. There is something um, something almost consequential to it too, where it feels to me like these stories which, he's, which he sings about here, even though they're open for interpretation, uh, they are universal and they are repetitive and they are something which will cyclically repeat. And the way that she um, she brings this forth and contrasts that with, again, also, as you said, like this, this religious fervor, this religious euphoria, it's it's just incredibly striking. It's it's absolutely, um, absolutely fantastic. And I, I think, like, I, I already think that we will be discussing this album more further down the line in future episodes, uh, probably also with, you know, with, with other co-writers of us coming in, but also with the album probably gaining in stature. It's right now, there's a lot of the, the meme crowd is memeing uh, the cover artwork a lot. There's a lot of mashups with Kanye right now. I think that uh, even though there is like a very ridiculous aspect to these things like memes, there is something that lends itself here to discourse. There is something that lends itself here to a shared experience um, of people, which I think will, especially when finally things reopen, potential live shows for this album will really bring to the forefront. So I'm I'm incredibly curious how, uh, and yeah, uh, John also brought forth this, this term of Gestalt. So I'm very curious how the Gestalt of Sinagabredi is going to uh, transform itself with time and with this music, uh, this music growing in, in different contexts. Any final thoughts on uh, the album? Anything you guys want to chime in with that maybe we forgot about or especially interesting to me what is your favorite song from this album with me i think um i've been going back and forth between centralia and and uh, pennsylvania furnace i think i have to stick with pennsylvania furnace just because I, I every single line that she says is iconic and the way the music rises the way her voice rises and as i just said with this do you want to be in hell with me and the piano trickling the notes trickling down uh, there is a lot of just brilliant detail here which i think is is so wonder wonderful fully thought out and uh, so charismatic so what is uh, everyone's favorite song from this uh, fantastic album carlo we were with you so uh, what is your favorite i you you kind of took the words out of my mouth i was gonna go with pennsylvania furnace as well great uh rob <laughs> which is uh, your favorite from sin i get ready i think i like i who bend the tall grasses just because of that yeah. her voice in that it's so incredible you know if i can't if he if i can't hide from you then neither can he and you know i'm not uh, just fucking kill him i'm not asking i mean i can't do it anywhere near as as well as she does it which is probably the most similar song to caligula i think you mentioned that it's kind of a connective tissue there but um and then i also like um repent now confess now i like the the, the scarier ones the more melodic ones i obviously love too but i don't know i like it when she gets pretty intense yeah i think tall grass is the connective tissue even though as i said i think uh it, like she plays with it because i think that this time around it's 
about a very different a very different uh, situation than these revenge fantasies on Caligula. I think without spoiling too much about my own insight, I, I think there is something very different going on here. John, which is your favorite? I, I, I like Ahu uh, Ben the Tall Grass too. And part of it, I think, is like, to me, when I listen to that, there's so much engaging ambiguity around who is actually speaking and who is being addressed, which is, I, I also think is a, is a theme throughout the album, but it's really pronounced on that track of sort of the fluidity of identity and how in the end there's a lot of merging that goes on energetically particularly like Lucifer and God human and God I mean there's all these and I think in that song in particular really she moves around a lot in terms of how you might interpret who is speaking and who is being addressed and then I thought the closing song for some reason I always uh, can't hold that title but the uh, Afrata track again I thought that was interesting like I was saying there's sort of this pivot um, because she makes a comment about being whole but at the same time the sense of despondence is never dispelled so there's this kind of ecstatic despondence that comes across in that in that closing song and I, I think that's a lot of what her work is about to me is about paradoxes ambiguities ambivalences you know bringing together these energies and trying to create some kind of alchemical artistic process yeah the track is, yeah, the track is cool. solitary brethren of Ephrata, which is sort of all play on uh, on I think like the QAnon type like the solitary brethren that are just you know isolated in their perspective All right, that does it for the first episode of our new podcast, Let It Beat. Uh, our podcast, <laughs> of course, of beatsperminute.com. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining. Do you want to plug yourself? You can find me on Twitter at underscore Rob Hack. You can find me on Twitter as well. My handle is Carlo T B the letter three. Don't really have uh, those platforms. I, you know, you can look online and see different different pieces I've written, including poems, come out recently. So yeah, good enough. Uh, I can be found on YouTube on my channel You Are Wrong or on Instagram Instagram.com/slash You Are So So Wrong. Gentlemen, thank you again for coming. Thank we you. should also mention that you can follow BPM yes. uh, at Beats Per Minute on Twitter and then at BPMNY on both Facebook and Instagram. Mm -hmm. And yeah. we haven't got to TikTok yet. If you want to be our TikTok intern, email me, Rob at BeatsPerMinute.com. TikTok, and it is uh, it is very similar to the fires of Centralia. It is a burning hell that just continues. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for listening. See you next time. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.